and welcome to the Hell is for Hyphenates podcast for July 2010. I am writer, hyphen, critic, hyphen, recast, incredible Hulk, Lee Zachariah, and here is... Hi, uh, welcome back to uh, Hell is for Hyphenates. I'm um, writer slash the director slash student slash um, headachey um, <laughs> Paul Anthony Nelson, and our special guest today... Hello! Hello. Is <laughs> none other than none other than I am uh, Tim Egan, uh, 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 writer, hyphen, uh, cinematographer, hyphen, uh, editor, hyphen, dude who watches movies, um, hyphen, person, hyphen, other creature, hyphen, curmudgeon, curmudgeon, <laughs> curmudgeon. Correct. If you've ever looked at the credits for a film and wondered what all those jobs are. Uh, Tim's done them all at some point. Yes, even the ones you don't want to know about. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't get the money before I did them. I really should have. Uh, you're always supposed to collect the money first. Now, the films of July. I think uh, the big one, of course, is Killers. No. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> Killers and Night and Day. Did anyone tell the difference between them? Um, one had actors, the other had... Cardboard cutouts. Glossy people. Mm. That's, that's my difference. That's true. That is true. Um, you seen the cast of Night and Day? There's some good. I've seen Night and Day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did? No, you, you haven't seen it. Tonight. I haven't seen it. No. What, what did? What did you think? Uh, Night and Day. I don't think it works at all. Uh, I think Tom Cruise liked the idea of being in a funny Mission Impossible, a mm. sexy Mission Impossible, one where he gets to be a bit silly, and oddly enough, he's the one who comes out of it best. Uh, Cameron Diaz is really weird I love her in everything but she looks really uncomfortable in this and I can't remember who else is in it they Peter made that Sar- yeah uh, Peter Sars oh he's I don't know what he was doing uh, in it he had two lines or something um, and different accents too which I thought was interesting yeah. um, I thought it was a great deal of fun it, 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 for me it was on the same level as the A-Team it was an action mm. film that didn't take itself seriously it, um, it kept bobbling along it knew its audience the script veered all over the place mm. um Tom Cruise was great, I thought. Um, you know, like I like Cameron Diaz being goofy. I didn't think she looked as uncomfortable. She looked, tended to look more orange than anything yeah. else most of the time. Um, yeah, Sarsgaard was wasted. I mean, what's like why not? It never fails to to annoy me that uh, when you've got a villain in a film, you have to make that villain the equal or opposite ability to the hero. Mm. You know what I mean? They they need to be implacable. They need to be as like he supposedly went through all the same cr- training as Cruz's character. Yeah, he's on the same program, he should have been as badass. Instead, he's just kind of a guy in a suit, following him around all the time and getting outsmarted. And I didn't actually remember he was in it. That's what impact <laughs> his character made. <laughs> and and yeah, and he had a southern accent that came and went too, which is a bit funny. <laughs> but the thing that struck me, my greatest beef with uh, with Night and Day though, it was. The worst FX I've seen in a major film in ten years. Yeah, they weren't good. It was like there was there was a plane explosion at one point that looked exactly like an explosion from an ad from Rush last year. <laughs> <laughs> that made us all laugh during Myth. It was it was just appalling and and bad compositing and you'd, yeah, it's like what like it was like they seriously spent all the money on cast and locations and they got to the end they go, holy shit, we need to visual effects this thing. Who have we got? Work experience kids, come in here and uh, play with this. Well, they did so many uh, tests and, and um, screenings of the film uh, overseas to see if it worked. And, and every report of it came back and said, it'll be great when the FX are done. Maybe those were the final effects. <laughs> you don't know. Well, there, there was a title that came up and said, FX to come later. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the most thrilling part for me. I, I loved that. But the actual big film of the month was Christopher Nolan's Inception. Mm, okay. Go. 
What do we think? I saw it yesterday morning uh, and uh, I thought it was magnificent. I really do. I, I really, really like Nolan. I'm a huge fan of Nolan and I just think his, um, his visual aesthetic has come so very far and the things he does with this film, he loves stories within stories within stories. And uh, this takes it to a whole nother level for him. He finds shells and layers to build within. Uh, I said to someone afterwards that there's, there's not really a way to spoil the film because if you were to talk about um, what happened in the film, it would take two and a half hours. Mm. You really need to explain every moment of the film to explain what the film's about. Mm. Um, and I just love a plot that just keeps moving, doesn't... It never feels like it's getting overcomplicated, which it really could, given how many different things are going on in this film and how many things you've got to remember from before to know where you're at. Uh, I never felt it was either leaving me behind or talking down to me. Um, and he's just one of the few uh, directors out there who, who really has a handle on greatness and, and, and epicness. And um, I watched this film and, and was several moments moved back in my seat and just like wow, that looks incredible, mm. um, where I could watch you know, everything Michael Bay's ever done and fall asleep during his action sequences. Um, I was actually comparing Bay to Nolan the other day when somebody asked me about FX, and I said it's not the effects, it's the mind behind it. It's what, it's, it's what Nolan is trying to get across with those effects, and that's yeah. what blows your mind. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's not the effect itself. And... Um, Look, the cast, uh, cast do really well. Um, he's got some very fascinating characters in there. And I, I really like DiCaprio as well. I, I'm not always a DiCaprio fan. Um, and a lot of times he's made this transition from, you know, teen heartthrob to serious actor. And he's been doing that for, for many, many years. And this is one of the few times I've really felt he was... He just felt comfortable in the role. Uh, it didn't feel like he was putting on a, a role, which I sometimes get from him. Uh, he's putting on a tough guy role or he's putting on this kind of face. Mm. He just felt totally at ease in the part. I always love seeing Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Jaziel. He's just fantastic. <laughs> he's just fantastic. <laughs> and uh, the rest of the cast were, were just spot on. He got some really good characters. Out. How good is Tom Hardy? Yeah. yeah. He's fantastic. Well, he, he was one of my favourites. He was just incredible. He was so funny. Well, no, you, you guys saw his breakthrough role in the classic Star Trek Nemesis. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> sorry, Bronson. Yeah. Bronson. <clears throat> Let us never speak of it again. Rock and roller as well. It's like he always plays kind of really rough around the edges type guys, mm. and, and and even in rock and roll, he's his character's gay and he's kind of but he's still a you know he's, mm. he's still a, t a tough, intimidating type guy. This is the first time I've seen him play a bit of savoir faire and a bit of you know. Mm. He was having, never be afraid to dream bigger, darling. He was yeah. having <laughs> amazing <laughs> fun with it, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, having such a good time. There was uh, something interesting. There were a couple of quotes I read online that I thought were really interesting. DiCaprio said it was Nolan's eight and a half. And he also said that he was playing Nolan. He was essentially doing an impression of Christopher Nolan. Mm, interesting. Uh, now, I read, a, um, I read a really interesting interpretation of the film. And I'll post a link to the article on, on the website. We have a website? Uh, apparently. Google it. Uh, <laughs> no, www.hellisforhyphenates.com Ah, that's the one. And it basically said that it's, it's a film about... Filmmaking, it's about Nolan trying to get into his dreams. And if you if you break it down, break down the cast, DiCaprio's character is the director. Alan Page's character is the writer. Tom Hardy is the actor. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the producer. Um, the, uh, Yusuf is the, the technical guy. Ken Watanabe plays the executive. Killian Murphy is the audience trying to be 
sucked in and it all fits. And I think it's, it's one of those theories that the more you think about it and the more you examine it, the more it makes sense. And it's, it's sort of opened up this whole new level of the film that I hadn't appreciated when Not I watched it. Yeah, no, I didn't, mm. uh, didn't get that from watching the film, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting mm. interpretation. It's a, it's definitely, it's a slow burn theory at all. Mm. It's, I read it about a week ago and for every day since I'm like, Oh yes, of course. And that, and that, and that, and it just sort of builds. And Pete Postlethwaite's the guy that's sick of 3D. <laughs> See, it all fits. It all fits. <laughs> Everyone's in it. Um, I, look, I, I had a great time with Inception. Um, yeah, as you say, it, it has an epic feel that can't be denied. It's um, genuinely original. I was impressed by how not like The Matrix it was. Yes. From seeing the trailers, you're like, oh, you know, there's, there's going to be the inevitable Matrix comparisons. But watching it, you don't get that feeling at all. Mm. It's a completely different animal. Um, and the cast are all terrific. And uh, if uh, that score is fantastic, I love yes. the horns. Mm. Uh, ha- Hans Zimmer, I think this is one of his best. Yeah. yeah. He's really getting better, actually, over the last few years. But the thing about, the only thing about the film that kind of rankled me, and I understand that you need it because mm. it's such a complex film. But the characters really do begin to drown in exposition for me. Like ninety minutes in, we're still most ninety. Like it felt like for the first ninety minutes, ninety-five percent of the lines were expository. Mm. Like everybody in this film talks about the plot, talks about what they're doing and how they're doing it and where we are. And there were some times when, and and again, I know it's reasonably necessary. There were some times I felt about a quarter of the time we could have shown these things visually, and three quarters of the time I was fine with the exposition. Mm. That's about the. That's about my only only issue with the film. Other than that, I thought Nolan has taken his action directing to a new level because I thought his action directing in the Batman films was not great. As much as I love, like Batman Begins, the favorite of mine. But yeah. in Inception, his action is brought to another level. I thought. I thought this time he's become. He's now become an action director. For mm. me. The action is amazing. I, I, I hear what you're saying about the uh, exposition, but the one thing that really surprised me about the film was not knowing what it was. I wasn't expecting it to be a heist slash uh, procedural. Mm. It was almost both of those together. And, and it kind the of... The heist angle took me by surprise too, and I love that. Mm. But you kind of need a film filled with like expository dialogue. This is what we've got to do. This is the next mm. stage. This is what this is where this person's at. Well, I kind of like that. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of what I was saying before, that the film would take two and a half hours to describe and the characters spend nothing, they do nothing to yeah. describe what's going on. Yeah. And I, I liked that there was only a little bit of outsider dialogue. I liked that they're actually really focused on what they're doing. Mm. It's like, we're doing this. This is going to happen. It's incredibly complicated and difficult. It's a heist. We've got to get it right mm. and so they do nothing but also the stuff like you you remember this because you want to bring your you know I don't want to say too much yeah, yeah. talk about certain you know you're, you're imagining this so you can bring this back and do this and this it's like thanks Alan I couldn't have worked that out by myself <laughs> see I <laughs> couldn't have like I actually couldn't have I'm not very smart <laughs> But no, I mean, and then other times it, it was absolutely needed. It's like, okay, I'm glad they said that because mm. I would have been completely lost otherwise. So it's sort of a damn, you know, there's mm. there's there's good and bad. And I'm not going to smash it too hard for yeah. that because I had a great fucking time. And I've got to say, it's one of the few films I've seen this year that I would totally see again. Yeah. On the big mm. screen, yeah. Okay. Seen it IMAX if you can too. It's just great. <laughs> okay, so the other films, I'm just going to run through them because we spent a lot of time on Inception as is correct. Uh, Centurion, Neil Marshall's. I so want to see that. When is that coming out? Uh, I, I don't know. It's fun. It's it's really fun. It's uh, he he has made exactly the film he's trying to make, uh, which is 
It's like he looked through old Asterix books and said, I want to see a hard Asterix film with people fighting and Romans coming in and, you know, and, and that's the film he made and it's, it's a lot of fun. So he's come back to uh, Dog Soldier's Descent form and Less Doomsday. Less Doomsday? Form. Well, yeah, Less Doomsday, Less Descent. I was expecting a real... I mean, Descent is... I, I adore yeah. Descent. And uh, I kind of wanted... That's what I was yeah. expecting going in and how, it wasn't that. How are his staggering plot holes? Uh, are they evident in this <laughs> film? Uh, there isn't that much of a plot so okay. you're fine yeah yeah yeah. well that's what I mean yeah watching his other films I'm sorry we're trying to churn through these that's right yeah. Neil Marshall is just famous for I mean every time I watch his films it's like okay we're going here now Neil alright sure what the hell I'm enjoying this film so much I don't really care but he's got to have someone just do a script check to make sure that it makes kind of wonderful <laughs> sense every now and then he is a wonderful action director though I oh he's like, yeah. even Doomsday. I love Neil Marshall I really do yeah. Mm. yeah like Doomsday wasn't great but um, in fact I I actively disliked a lot of it, but oh, the action true. scenes did work. The action yeah. scenes were the highlight. Mm. There were uh, three Australian films this month. There was The Horseman. Yes. Yes. Last. Uh, were you a fan? I can't remember. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best Australian film I've seen in about five years. But yeah, it's, I, love, I love it so much. It's yeah. just so raw and passionate and angry and visceral. And God, I wish we made more films like that. The, the, yeah, God, I wish we made more films like that is kind of what I thought when I was watching it as well. Yeah, great film. Uh, then there was The Waiting City. Anyone see that? No. It was uh, it was good. It was a bit of a travelogue. It was a bit of a somebody goes overseas, is really changed by it, comes yeah. back, can't stop talking about it, makes a film about it. That said, given I think that's what happened, it was actually a pretty good film. Because okay. um, those are the kind of people that bore me shitless. <laughs> yes, I know a few as well, and wow. Uh, but uh, then there was South Solitary. Now, uh, please, I, I don't want to dump on Australian films. No, I, I hate doing it, it. It does have a poster of a woman carrying a sheep, but that's okay. <laughs> yep, that pretty much sums up the film. Yeah, it's great. so underwritten, and it's just, you know, you talk about needing a script edit. Uh, you, you know, you've got 10 minute scenes that uh, should be two or three minutes and they just go round and round and it's almost like it's stream of consciousness, but, you know, not in the good way. Mm. Martin, how do you say it? Koskis. Koskis. Yeah. Maybe it's Sokus. Sokus, yeah. Maybe the He's my favourite accent of the year. Um, I identified where his accent was from and I'm pretty sure it was a small Welsh town in the middle of South Africa. <laughs> I sort of. <laughs> Do you think so? Some actors work in so many countries they lose sight of who they are. Or what their original accent is. That happened to Christopher Lambert, I'm sure. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau. Lambert's his own his own country a little bit. He's the United Federated States of Lambert. Lambert. Yeah. It is up to you to decide who is going to win the tournament. <laughs> is it Scottish, French, American? Got... I have no okay. idea. That's like the United Nations in one sentence. <laughs> Yeah, Creation, the uh, the film about Charles Darwin. I don't know, it should have been a better film. For a film about Charles Darwin that's going to attract all this controversy, the film should have been much better. But what I really loved about it is that Charles Darwin once uh, spent some time with an orangutan, sort of studying an orangutan called Jenny. And at one point in the film, his daughter says, tell me about Jenny. And all I could think of was Terence Stamp in the limey going, tell me about Jenny. So in the middle of a serious scene, I almost burst out laughing in the cinema because I just wanted Terence Stamp to appear. It probably would have been far more entertaining had Terence Stamp played the wife, I think. That is true of every film. Every film. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much you could replace Terence as any character in any movie and the thing just gets better. 
Very I love true. The original poster with um, with uh, Bettany and a monkey and a orangutan sitting down, touching fingers. Yeah. That's yeah. such a great image. Yeah. It's a really cool poster. And then you see the second poster of him swinging Jennifer Connolly around on a beach, and you're like, no. Mm. We should juxtapose that shot of him carrying Jennifer Connolly with the South Solitary one of her carrying a <laughs> ship. <laughs> carrying things on beaches. That could be a new film festival. <laughs> and if Terrence Stamp is carrying anything on a beach, I'm in. <laughs> All right, so we are, uh, we're all sitting around quite sleep deprived because, I mean, we're only one or two days into the Melbourne Film Festival and uh, something that has happened at MIFF this year is Bruce LaBruce's film, L.A. Zombie, was, now was it banned or was it refused classification by the OFLC? I believed it was refused, refused classification. Yeah. And so they can't play it. Which is weird for a film festival because everything goes in with a blanket 18 rating but not mm. actual, they don't differentiate between R and X. They just say no one under 18. Mm. So technically nothing in a film festival has classification. So that's weird to me. But Well, this is, yeah, this is the, the issue I'm wondering about. Uh, what is in the film that is so objectionable? Well, this is funny because there was something in a film that Bruce LaBruce brought to me two years ago and was played fine without a problem which is, I'm going to say, wound shagging. Um, it's about zombies that, you know, fuck other dead things back to life. It's or positive. Something. That sounds quite positive. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what Bruce LaBruce says. He, yeah. he says it's a film about, you know, celebrating life and all this sort of business. But yeah, Otto up or Up With Dead People, to me, had the same stuff as this has. Yeah. But... For some reason, I don't know. Like, have they just gone? All right, we let you get away with that shit once, but not again. Yeah. Like, what? It's the duplication. It's you know, it's 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 climbing exponentially. It gets worse each time he does it. Maybe there's more penetrative sex in this mm. one. I don't know. Well, the thing is, I was uh, last year they played Antichrist, mm. and that has penetrative sex in it. Mm. Thought, well, where is it? The amount you put in it is that the fact that it's got a horror element to it, even if that horror element is manufactured. I don't understand where they draw the line, and they don't tell us where they draw no, the line either. The it's hard for us to know because we haven't seen the film. But that takes it out even more because you, you've got Otto and then Antichrist the next year. That cumulatively mm. that just talk, makes it even more mysterious. Yeah, they talk a lot about the, the idea of the combination of sex and violence. They don't mm. mind sex, they don't mind violence. When you put the two together, they really don't like that mm. for some reason. And uh, the fact that he's not shagging an orifice he's supposed to be shagging, he's made his own. Mm. Um, he's just built one. Uh, <laughs> that could have a lot to do, you think. It's uh, an orifice again, bias. Yeah, yeah. Saying, yeah. <laughs> but again, the film two years ago had it. This is a, yeah. like, it's, I'm more worried it's about Bruce ship- LaBruce. I mean, he's really <laughs> got to get off this. The dude's really mining a vein in a way. You know, with, mining a vein, um, that's an unfortunate term. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I demand a trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to come back to it. He's got to finish his his vein mining trilogy. But um, yeah, it's just it's just weird. I don't know what Bruce's fascination is. <laughs> I'm more interested in that. But yes, yeah. the OFLC as well. But, but I I I was very annoyed because I was all geared up to see my very very first gay zombie porn movie. Oh, you haven't uh, seen one before? No, I haven't. Oh, they're fantastic. I went, <laughs> Tim and I went to a gay zombie porn festival. Yeah. Terrence Stamp was in it. Lasted, <laughs> lasted three weeks. It was yeah. Yeah, we Tell me about Moonshack. <laughs> So yeah, I feel very cheated out of out of um, being denied denied my right to see gay zombie porn. Um, well, I doubt you will be. I'm sure there will be copies going around. And as Bruce LeBruce himself pointed out, uh, and this is the same as what happened with Ken Park a few years ago, mm. the banning of the film, which was the last film ban. Uh, 
I'm pretty sure. No, no. I think there has been uh, a couple since, mm. just uh, not with as, as much um, controversy There's a around lot of it. Myth. That's what it was. Okay, yeah. but as with Ken Park, uh, the banning has given it more publicity than it mm. otherwise would have gotten. Mm. I actually flicked past it in the guide. I took a look at it and said, yeah, all right, gay zombie porn, but there's other things I want to see more. Mm. Uh, now I'm thinking about, I've got to see this film. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. Yeah. I want to ask, do we have a line? Because my gut reaction as a liberal, lefty, communist, socialist, pinko, pinko all that, uh, my gut reaction was they banned a film. Screw them. I didn't know what was in it, but I was angry. And I thought, hang on a second. That's, you can't have that reaction to everything. Mm. And I started thinking about where my line is and what if there is something in this film I, I don't know I, it should I, be for discerning adults to decide that's the problem yeah but at some point you know I mean you know child pornography can't be you can't say discerning adults because that's too far and so somewhere between that and the films we get to see now there is a line that we all have I uh, my thing is always how did you get the footage how did you get mm. it did you commit a crime to get the footage mm. now Sometimes that's all right. I mean, the cove was full of crimes, and we're mm. very glad that we got th that footage. Mm. Uh, but you talk about child pornography; that's a crime. Yeah, they've 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 injured someone mm. and and damaged someone to get that footage. I am concerned about my own gut reaction that all censorship is wrong because I think some is needed. I just think everybody has a different line mm. where they draw it, and uh, the but they can all afford not to see the movie. Like, surely, yes. You know, you read the synopsis about, you know, uh, gay zombie pornography and you're kind of like, you know what? I don't think this is for me. If it's mm. for you, you you'll see, like the people that are going to see that film mm. have that, have their line drawn in a place where most people don't. Well, that's why we need transparency and we have none. The OFLC doesn't tell us what their decision making is. They don't go into detail. And it's that lack of transparency that is damaging this whole process because it really does make it feel like it's down to their personal taste. Mm, yeah. And these people we've never met. And actually, a friend of mine is on the board and she's very nice. But uh, the rest of them I've yeah, never yeah. met. Ask and <laughs> I've tried. I've tried. It's all yeah. very secretive. Yeah. Why secretive? What, 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 what is the reasoning behind that? If you just tell people mm. this is why it's being banned, I mean, at least you give them... It just doesn't seem to be anything to be gained in terms of... Well, it seems like they want to stifle the debate and they're not. They're just stifling no. uh, informed debate. Yeah. I was thinking, what about, uh, say, a comedy... What if Tom Green decided to make another movie and had him shagging a whole bunch of prosthetic animals? Is that... I, I would that ban that. Bestiality con yeah, just for being a Tom Green, a Tom Green movie, yeah. <laughs> at first, it doesn't sound like an apt comparison, but when you think of LA Zombie, it's all, you know, it's, mm. it's all film, smoke and mirrors, prosthetic, latex, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm. it's the same deal. So if Tom, you know, or whatever was shagging prosthetic animals, mm. would you ban that under the guise of implied bestiality? Or would you let it through? Mm. Cool. Mm. Mm. And that's why that's why we need the debate. That's why we need the the OFLC to open its doors a bit or open a window or something and let us see what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. What their criteria are. And we're never gonna get past this until they do. Now, Mr. Timothy. Yes. You have chosen the filmmaker du jour. Yes. Well as... I uh, I went with um, just well. Actually, I came at this completely the opposite way. I just thought, who do I want to talk about? Who do I love? And who have I seen nearly all of their films? And now I've seen all of them. And it coincided with the fact he released a major film this uh, this month, uh, Mr. Chris Nolan. This week. 
this week. Yeah. Yes. And so uh, my, my task for the beginning of the week was to see the two I hadn't seen, which was his first film and his last film. So I saw Following and Inception in the last couple of days. So we've put uh, nice little caps on Chris Nolan's career. Mm. Got to see where he started and see where he's at now. And they're interesting films to watch back to back given the lead characters have the same first name. Yes. Yeah. Well, the same name, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the antagonist from one and the protagonist from the other. Mm. Yeah. 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 Which is interesting in itself. Following is an interesting film, though. I, mm. I don't know. I, I t- it always felt like Nolan's Fight Club. The whole, you've got to do this to be, you've got to push them. And so they appreciate life more. And all, it also felt like Nolan's pie in the, in mm. the style of it. This Absolutely. low budget, gritty black and white. Mm. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It sounds like a big claim at first, but then I guess you break it down and think about it. Other people have different preferences, I'm sure. But I think it's the best ultra low budget film I've ever seen. Mm. Mm. Like the best, when I say ultra low budget, under 20,000. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um, I just think it's brilliantly constructed. It's incredibly tight. It's 70 minutes long. It's, it doesn't waste a second. Um, it, I, I like the, the flash forward technique and you start and it throws you off balance. You're thinking, what's this? And then you gradually put it together and it kind of sets the tone for much of Nolan's subsequent career, which is he's a puzzle master. Mm-hmm. He's a man who likes to engage the cerebral first. Um, but then, but then injecting the visceral in, gradually mm. as we go along like it was made for six thousand dollars mm. filmed it all with natural light you've used very little practical light yeah. lighting um pretty much gorilla on the streets of london mm. um i liked how he built the um the lead character having to change their appearance into the script because as well as feeding into the plot it also orients us as to where we are mm. in the plot because yep. it does jump around chronologically quite exactly. a bit, yeah. And it instantly sort of you know, ties you to one place, which, mm. which part of the story is at. And it, it's very confusing at the beginning. Mm. Because yeah. uh, because it's grainy black and white, you don't get a really clear look at these people. And so if you're mm. just watching the film and it's an unknown actor, you see a massive change in appearance. You just assume it's a new person. And it takes a while to actually say, actually, that's the same guy. Mm. Uh, I thought it was a great film. Uh, it's it, it really is Nolan distilled. Uh, mm. His ideas get com- more complex and bigger as, as his films go on. This is just a straight... He loves placing stories within stories. They're like, as you say, combination locks. Uh, Mm. And uh, he loves putting things inside things inside things. And whether they be memory or dreams or uh, time or tricks or or any of these things, he loves placing boxes within boxes like Mm. Babushka dolls. Uh, And following's the first one. Um, And it's unbelievably simple. It's essentially one inside one. Mm. Yeah. With a little sort of yeah. kink in the tail. That's yep. about it. And it's as simple as he gets, and as straightforward as he gets. Mm. And uh, it's it's a lovely little film and a good start. And it was the sort of thing. Had I seen it first, I would have said, "I'm excited to see what he does next." Yeah. It wasn't one of those blow you away straight away, but mm-hmm. it made me very excited for his next piece. It just feels it feels fully formed on that level to me, which so many low ultra low budget films don't feel. Mm. To me, most of them feel like that. Yeah, I can't wait to see what he has next. But this is like. That felt satisfying. I don't. It's it's an ultra low budget film. You feel you don't have to make excuses for. Mm. It's not like oh well he you know. Even though I have found myself saying that to people over the last few days, oh it cost six thousand dollars. Watching it, I don't think that. I just think this is just a really great little film. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and then the film that got him noticed. The uh, certainly the one that the first time I heard his name was Memento. Mm. Yeah. That's such an amazing film, and it's it's. I rewatched it the other night in preparation for this. Uh, what astonishes me about it is that it's not a gimmick film. Like, it sounds like a gimmick film, mm. 
but it stands up to repeat viewings. Mm. And it's not once you know what's going on, the whole thing falls apart. It actually gets better and better mm. the more you watch it. I remember the first time I heard Chris Nolan's uh, name, I was, I was writing a short film uh, around that disease. Uh, the disease that uh, Guy Pearce's character has in Memento. And mm-hmm. I couldn't crack it. I was trying to write it and I didn't know how to approach it. And then I saw Memento and it's like, oh, that's how you do it. Uh, <laughs> damn you. Um, he made it look so easy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he took he took the illness and said, this is such a great storytelling. You've got to put the uh, the audience in the same mindset as this guy and see the, the world through his eyes. Mm. I mean, it seems an obvious thing to do, but um, to wind the film backwards like that and keep you fresh for each moment and having to... It, it was really... What I always love about it is it throws you into a situation and says, what would you do here? Knowing nothing about what you, what the plot is, what the story is, what's happening, what would you do? And um, you only have the clues that he has to go on and you'd make similar decisions and you'd end up in similar places. Mm. And um, I don't know whether we can talk about the ending. Can we do that? I would say so. Yeah. If you've not seen Memento, cover your ears. Cover your ears. Yes. I, I just love any film where a man manages to be his own uh, antagonist. His own worst enemy. Yes. He's the guy who has is perpetrating all the horrible things against himself for a very specific reason. You know, that wonderful line at the end, can, you lie, can I lie to myself? Can I, can I be this? It's amazing how the narrative guy. manages to be satisfying, like have that satisfying mm. conclusion when we're essentially watching the opening moments of the film. Yeah. At the end, and it's, I, I'm flabbergasted by the skill it took to write it in that manner. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, it really is an extraordinary film and it really does get better on every viewing the more you peel it back. I've got to say, it's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, <laughs> I caught up on following this week and obviously, and I know the other films reasonably well, but Memento's the one that's been the longest since I've seen um, but it's the first of that he would he would then perpetrate in the prestige and inception in particular is those sort of what the fuck mind fucking mm. things you know you get to oh. the end and you're like oh man <laughs> you know it's it's that kind of, it's the oh man ending and yeah. it's it's the first of those and it would become a Nolan signature down the track it, it is yeah it's an extremely um, it's an extremely smart work. Mm. And it's, a, it's also the point he sets, he starts to set up his visual style. One, I, I said earlier that following, I didn't see uh, elements of following in his later work. What I mainly meant was the visual style yeah. mm. because it was shot with no lights and all handheld by the director himself. Mm. Memento is the first moment you start to see his style and, and his style in collaboration with his DOP, Wally Fister, is one of the things I love most about him. It's this clinical naturalism mm. but heightened to an epic kind of point he takes very ordinary shots and makes them just so rich and, and and certainly with the batman films which we'll get to a bit later manages to take an unbelievably heightened and ridiculous comic book idea put it in a natural world but make those natural settings mind-blowingly epic mm. and it's mm. just a guy walking down a street yeah. um, i love the way he does that and it's a lot down to wally fister did anyone expect him to go from that to a remake? I didn't really think of it at the time, but mm. looking back, it's almost odd for a filmmaker like that to choose to remake a foreign film. Well, it's funny because uh, Drew McQueen, mentioned that that was his aud- studio audition film. This is That was his, I can make a studio film and right. it in on time and on budget and deliver you something that'll do well. I that, see, yeah. That was, yeah, that was basically his audition for Warner Brothers 2. 
And look, I can work. I can work with big movie stars, yeah. and I can handle them. Yeah. Also, um, that was his studio. Of all the films he's got there, that was his one kind mm. of, you know, his studio job yeah. as gun for hire job. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah. But you say doing a, a, a remake of a foreign language film. Um, the thing that ties following in an Inception together as well is they're the only two that are original concepts and scripts from Chris Nolan. Yep. Uh, everything else was based on a remake, a short film, mm. a uh, book or something. So, yeah. Even Memento was based on a short story by his brother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Insomnia being a remake. Uh, well, mm. yeah, I guess if, you know, the first one was a... I suppose at that point, yeah. Really, mm. really had. It was, but that does make sense, the studio audition film. Mm. And i got to mm. say, if that's the least impressive film on your filmography... <laughs> You're doing something very right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Insomnia yeah. would be a high point for most filmmakers. Mm, uh, and then Robin and Williams is fantastic in that film. He is good. He is. Good. It was it was Robin Williams's year of the psycho. I like to call it. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. this brief blip, yeah. and they were all in 2002. Yeah, one hour photo as well. Yeah, didn't yeah. one yeah. hour photo. Insomnia and Death to Smoochie. Right. And they're yeah. all yeah. terrific in one way or another. And yeah. his performances in them all are great. Death to Smoochie wanted to kill Edward Norton in one hour photo. He wanted, you know commandeer someone else's family and insomnia he's this you know crime mm. writer that, that is a serial killer and yeah it just had that great year but insomnia's got a um yeah it's a damn strong film it's a film probably in need of severe third act tinkering i feel it kind of becomes very conventional in the end but there's a lot of terrific sequences here. yeah it's the um, one I, I haven't gone back to though of yeah. i've watched yeah. all of his films many times but mm. uh, insomnia is the one i watched once i said that's great but yeah. i haven't been back to it suffers from the curse of just being very good. Yeah. <laughs> Amongst brilliance. Yeah. So then he, then he launches into the territory of Batman. Mm. The first Batman film since the classic Batman and Robin. Uh, <laughs> or, as I like to call it, Batman and Robin. <laughs> Batman Begins was, uh, it was an interesting take. I don't think you could have got Batman Begins without the Burton and, you know, uh, maybe Schumacher films. But mm. you well, no, you couldn't have gotten it without the Schumacher films. No, that's Because true. the Schumacher films uh, repelled everybody to such an extent. It was like, we need to take Batman back to the mm. gritty... Real grit, like yeah. bring in real world, get year one style. Yeah, and that's a common complaint that uh, I've, I've heard a lot of people make about Batman Begins is that it's too serious and it's too gritty. Oh, but I think yes. Batman's one of the few uh, superheroes you can do that with because everyone else has they're either magic or they got you know yeah. su- radiation poisoning or something. Yeah, and this is the one that's it's it's not real, like it's obviously hyper reality, but it could happen. Mm. And Batman Begins the sequences where he's testing out the masks mm. and he arrives at the conclusion he needs to be a symbol he needs to be a bat I, I really like the effort they went to to make us believe that it could happen and why it would happen mm. and I think that's its biggest success mm. is that it does that it sort of sucks us into this world and says okay I believe Batman exists it's, he's one of the few heroes as well that um uh, every other hero is like, hey, I've been b- bitten by a spider. Now I'm ready to go. You know, hey, I've arrived on Earth from another planet. Hey, I'm ready to go. Yep. He had to make himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of the few uh, superheroes like, I'm, I need to be a superhero. This is going to take many years worth of training. Here I go. And it's born out of true psychosis, which makes it even more believable. Mm. See, I've, I, I think this is just probably the second podcast in a row where I mentioned that Batman is my all-time favourite popular culture character. Mm. And one of the signature Batman comic book works for me is Frank Miller's Year One story, which was the first time I'd I'd ever read a Batman comic and thought, wow, given his unique set of circumstances, this could happen. This is possible. You give someone the death of their parents, a psychosis driving them to 
vow never again will this happen to anyone else and billions and billions and billions of dollars of which you are the sole executor mm. and time in your hands and, mm. and you know, time to travel the world time and resources to travel the world and train and commission teams of inventors to work on little bits and they never communicate the larger whole of what he's actually developing and then getting them to put it together it, it's entirely possible so it's an incredibly unique set of circumstances like, uh, you know, maybe James Packer and Lachlan Murdoch are the only two people it could possibly happen to, and it'd have to happen to them when they're 10. But however, yeah. and that really reinvigorated the character for me. And that was the Batman I always wanted to see on film. So this is, like, it's probably an unpopular opinion, but this is why I'll always value Batman Begins over The Dark Knight, because mm. Batman Begins was the film that showed me the Batman. It was the Batman film I'd always had in my head. Mm. Right. I had notes to a Batman TV series I was once trying to write. <laughs> and it had things like, my notes had things like, um, when Batman would come to a scene of a crime, it's like, a, uh, would, would come to, you know, break up a gang or whatever, it would be like a supernatural presence. People would be snatched up into the dark. I literally wrote that. And then all of a sudden, I'm seeing it on screen. Yeah, yeah. And it just blew my flipping mind. I loved it. Mm. I, I think Nolan absolutely nailed it. And as you say, he communicated that year one idea on film perfectly. Mm. That under this set of circumstances, this could happen. But as Tim says, he brings the epic to it as well. He, make, he utterly grounds it, but there's a bigness to it. Mm. Really, really works. And I've I got to say, a lot of it, I didn't mention this before, uh, certainly Fister's um, cinematography, but it's also the way he uses sound mm -hmm. uh, and score. These just massive... Organic but metallic thumping notes that really come to the fore in the Dark Knight, but mm. um, just give moments a real resonance yeah. uh, and an otherworldliness to a, a reasonably natural scene. They give it that it's not your standard Hollywood score, so you mm. don't feel it's a standard Hollywood film. It, it exactly. takes it to another place. And then he went to the Prestige, based on the Christopher Priest novel mm. about dueling magicians. I am a, I'm a huge fan of the Prestige. I, I really love it. Uh, we um, the three of us are part of a group that play film doubles. Sometimes the films have a connection. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're obvious connections. Sometimes they're vague ones. One of my favourites is Tim. You played the Prestige with Miller's Crossing, mm -hmm. and the thing that tied them together is they both open with shots of hats going through forests. Yes, it's a, a beautiful a connection. Two hats. A tale of two hats. It's a very rare subgenre. Um, <laughs> They also, and the thing is, they were both on my list uh, to play because they're two of my favourite films. Uh, other, one of my other choices to talk about today was going to be the Coens because I absolutely adore them and mm. Crossing is probably my favourite. Um, and Prestige was on the list as well because um, of Nolan's one, it was quite often passed over and a lot of people hadn't seen it, so I wanted to show that as well. And then I was watching them one day and realised they both started with hats in the forest. Um <laughs> But there you go. And, uh, I mean, I adore The Prestige, and I, I think it's it's buried a little bit in uh, his works. Yeah. Yeah, I love the theatricality of it, the magician uh, sort of angle, and he obviously has proved with Batman Begins that he loves uh, looking at the, the trick behind it all. Uh, Batman Begins was, yeah, there's Batman, and when Burton's Batman starts there's the Dark Knight standing brilliantly on the tower and it's that gothic nature that Burton's obviously going to love. Whereas he loved, like, how did we get, how did he put it together? How did he build the trick? Mm. How does he, you know, that thing where, where he disappears into the shadows, mm. how does he do that trick 
and still get the effect. And that's what The Prestige is all about. It's about two guys who are desperately going for that effect, the prestige of that moment, and um, wanting to trick the audience. And uh, the thing I love most about it, and again, I'm going to talk about the ending, so cover your ears if you haven't heard of it, uh, if you haven't seen it, um, is that it's like being bluffed playing open-handed poker. <laughs> he tells you five or six times how the film's going to end. Yeah. Uh, he tells you exactly how the trick works. And he has the guy who builds tricks, Michael Caine, come out to you and explain to you very <laughs> simply, this is how the trick works. And then when you get to the end, you're totally surprised. It's, it's great misdirection. It's wonderful. It's yeah. absolutely beautiful. Um, I just had such a ball with this film. The, the largeness of it. Whereas everything else he's tried to ground in reality, the prestige has this playful theatricality and bigness to it, which mm. I, just, I just ate up. The idea of Tesla being this mad inventor living on a hill played by... Um, David Bowie. David Bowie. <laughs> massive electrical storms. And uh, yeah, just so much fun. A really sumptuous film. I always found it was the one... The one film to that time, Nolan film, that felt a bit too clever for its own good. But on subsequent viewings, I tend to enjoy it more. Yeah. And, uh, of course, off the prestige, uh, he went back to his indie roots and made a small, <laughs> low-budget film not many people saw called uh, The Duck Knight. Sorry, The Dark. The Dark Knight. That's it. <laughs> he actually did make a short film called Duck The Dark Knight. Okay. It reminds me of Unforgiven. The Duck of Death. That's Duke. Duck, I says. <laughs> 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 it is uh, it is a great great film it is flawed it's one of those films where if you try to point out the flaws because it has such almost scary universal love that if you point out the flaws you're painted as someone who loathes the film yeah. and <laughs> I think it has a lot of problems like I think the third act you know Nolan has a few problems in his films with the third act I he's made two Batman films in a row in which the third act revolves around Gotham City getting evacuated I'm not sure yeah. how many times we can see that yeah. but and he completely i find Two-Face utterly one-dimensional. He, I, He's I, wasted a bit. He, why, totally wasted, yeah. He's just turned into a yelling thug, whereas in the in, in mm. the source material, he's not like that at all. He's very thoughtful and he's very conflicted and he's very, you know, he, he tries to keep a cool exterior for the most part. And mm. then in this film, he's just a kill him, fucking sort of guy. It's mm. like, yeah. Plus, uh, I, I don't know, I have, I have a few problems with the Two-Face character. But for every misstep he makes with the Two-Face character, he makes up, for it with the Joker character mm. who's as perfect a representation of the Joker as I've ever seen on the screen or in the comics that idea I think I'm, I'm sure many people have said it and but I heard Nolan say it beforehand uh, is the Joker should be the only person laughing in the room he's the only person who finds his jokes funny mm. and he, it, gr being grounded with that idea not the we need to do a, uh, a large uh, comical character to you know sell toys but <laughs> by grounding it in that idea it that's what made the film, I think. Mm. That it, it really is. It's a very good film. Great little touches. And, uh, you know, you wonder whether they were in the script or whether the ledger brought them to him. I'm not sure. But things like, you know, the, the, um, he starts explaining his background at one point. Mm. And you're like, oh, don't do this. Yes. Don't sell out the Joker. And then the next scene, he explains his background and it's a different background. And suddenly you're like, oh, that's fucking genius. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like, better than yeah. not saying it at all. Yes. It's lying over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Completely sincerely. And he tries yeah. to again uh, yeah. at the end. Like, yeah. And it's a whole parody of the, you know, the damaged... Yeah. The damaged criminal and all, you know, he's really just somebody's son who was damaged at some point. It's a whole parody of that. It's mm. taking the piss. It's like, it's like... There's no uh, way into him. No. He's, he's, it's he, like, he arrived fully formed. And coming back to that I, idea of uh, Batman being grounded in the real world, you think 
well, how are these, where are these villains coming from? And I love that the Dark Knight starts to bring up the idea that Batman's existence is what's creating mm. them. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very good idea, and I we're, hope they explore it more in the third one. We're making this transition from the, the mob bosses who mm. were in charge uh, to, you know... And who are conventionally in charge in our world. Yeah. Mm. To suddenly Batman's in the picture, and the villains are becoming more freakish. And, mm. more... and the Joker is so happy for the existence of Batman. Mm. He's just, you know, why would I want to kill you? I couldn't live without you. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I love that you're here. Exactly. You and make it makes it so sense. You, you don't have to keep going. You know, had the Joker continued for films and films and films, yeah. you don't have to keep going, well, he could have killed him by now because the Joker doesn't want him dead. Yeah. That's, oh, it's yeah, so, it's, it's very, very good. Well, Which have... is why I feel the Riddler is the natural choice for the next one. Mm. Because the Riddler's a gamesman. Mm. He exists because he wants to challenge, but he wants to prove he's smarter than Batman. Yeah, yeah. And all of his crimes are, are, are games, are con games, are uh, uh, set-ups. Intellectual challenges. Chal- intellectual challenges, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Intellectual challenges mm. to, to flush Batman out and to prove him the better man. Well, starts... So again, it's part of that Batman exi- The Riddler would not exist without Batman. Mm. Well, Nolan's approaching the. He seems to be approaching the villains with an eye, with an eye to uh, what's thematically relevant to develop mm. Batman. Mm. And so, from that point of view, I would be surprised if you know we don't hear soon that the Riddler is mm. the third mm. villain in the next film. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, it does have a flawed third act. There is a heavy war on terror subtext in there, which yeah. I which I kind of like, but it scares me a little bit because I'm not sure which side of the fence is. I'm not sure if it's a comment or an endorsement. Mm. Um. The Lucius Fox scenes towards the end tend to make me think it's a reflection rather than an endorsement of the Bush policy. But all lines like, he's not the hero we want, but he's the hero we need right now and we'll hate him now, but we'll see in future that he's doing the right thing. Mm. Mm. Very much the way the Bush government tended to think of itself. Um, Yeah, so as a comment on the times, it's quite quite brilliant. but yeah, just as long as it doesn't endorse that. Because in the end, <laughs> Batman is our hero. Yeah. He's where our sympathies lie. Mm. And that can't be discounted. Well, I think I think that whole war on terror, Bush. I think the way the Bush administration worked would work perfectly in a film. I would be totally for them in a film. I, I get nervous when they're in real life. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, it's the fact too, the actual Bush government were the opposite side. We know this. Yeah. I've, I've, I've long worked on a personal theory that the Bush cabinet were actually the Batman rogues gallery. <laughs> and <laughs> That's true. Well, okay, Cheney is the penguin. Cheney is the penguin. Uh, Rumsfeld is the Riddler. Uh, Condoleezza is Catwoman. Uh, <laughs> it was quite... It went down a few... Carl, what was... Oh, Carl Rove... No, Carl Rove and George Bush was Scarface and the Ventriloquist. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Okay, and now, of course, we come back to... Speaking of coming full circle, as Christopher Nolan does mm. in this podcast, we come full circle to Inception. Mm. Now, you were talking about original scripts that he, that, that he did and... and one thing I've noticed looking at his career as a whole is that all these original scripts, and for the purpose of this argument, I'll include Memento, uh, are based around the idea of how we perceive the world. It's very interesting watching that and following in such close uh, quarters uh, because it feels like the logical conclusion to the ideas that he was bringing up in following. He really does have something to say about how we live, how we view the world we're in, and what our place is in it, given our perception of it. And I think it's a really interesting line he's, he's developing. And I can't see him continuing that beyond Inception, because I think he's sort of, he's completed that. It feels like a tr- almost a trilogy of, of this theme. Mm. But that was certainly what I took away from re-examining his films all at once. 
Also, there's the slight thought that women are baggage that hold you yeah. back and uh, make you insane a little bit. Um, there is a bit of that. Yeah. Oh, God, it's that films... works in Dark Knight as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> films are fairly sexless for a start. And, yes. they, and, yeah, and women are generally obstacles to be risen above. <laughs> to drag down the main character a little bit. That's um, interesting, yeah. And yes, their role is always deceptive and uh, they're not what they seem and they're an anchor around the main <laughs> character's uh, ankle. So I think Chris Nolan's got exactly right. Uh, <laughs> it's a beautiful... Uh, uh, anyway, yeah. the uh, look, I it is, it is it is a flaw, and we'd like him to develop that further. <laughs> Maybe that could be the next film, giving a woman a lead, perhaps. Mm. I do love that he uh, he took the goodwill from the Dark Knight. Goodwill that you can only get that amount once. It's what James Cameron did with Avatar. He got you know he got all that money from Titanic, and he could pretty much write his own ticket, and he made an original film. And from Dark Knight, making all that money, Nolan could pretty much do whatever he wanted. And I love that he he wasn't scared. He didn't jump into a third Batman film. He didn't try and do something safe. <clears throat> he went nuts with an original script. And it's his dream project. Well, pun <laughs> 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 yes. not intended. Um, but apparently, he's been he wrote it ten years ago. Yeah, he's been developing it ever since. So mm. this is kind of this is his the thing he's always wanted to make. But this is it's also the film we've always wanted to see. We want to see Hollywood doing original films that have something to say and create that spectacle that we want, not the sort of loud cacophony that, you know, we mentioned Michael Bay before, that sort of we just get assaulted with. We actually want real spectacle. It's a big visceral film that also has big ideas. Mm. Yeah. It's the perfect marriage of... uh, It's the kind of thing Hollywood did all the time in the 70s. Mm. And I hope hope it does really... I mean, it is doing really well, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's 100 million in a week so far Mm. in the States. Because I don't really care about box office takings unless they have some sort of... Uh, follow-on effect and if mm. an original film can make all that money and a daring one and yeah. one that's intelligent and then that means we might get more it also means we'll get a lot of really bad copycats yeah. but you'll see Inception 2 uh, Re-Inception <laughs> I think Extraction Extraction <laughs> yes. as, as directed by you know um, uh, Lee Tamahori yes oh jeez <laughs> I was trying to think of the guy's name but there you go <laughs> some hack um, um, but I also think it's the kind of, as you say, it's the kind of thing, it's the cachet that a half billion growth, or well, one billion worldwide grossing mm. film gets you. Mm. I'd like to be optimistic and say, yeah, we'll get smarter films out of this. I don't know. I still think it's, it's that cachet that made it happen and that future filmmakers won't necessarily be trusted with this the first, second or third time out of mm. the game. No, but you do have to consider the... the, the that two of the big films from recently have been Avatar and Inception, both mm. based mm. on original scripts written by... One is considerably smarter than the other. One is. Uh, it also made... Well, it's so far made much less money. Yeah. Um, but I don't think Avatar's less... Uh, smarter is a, is a tough word. Um, I think the uh, design and, and um, ingenuity and invention that went into Avatar maybe in less intellectual areas, certainly. Mm. But um, his, his intention to detail in world building and technology building and creation of um, uh, mm. look and feel and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think there's just as much invention going on there, just perhaps not in a um, script level. Not in a storytelling sense. And when has Cameron ever really put... I mean, he, yeah. lo- he loves his scripts. He really does. You could never say Cameron just doesn't care about the script, but he... Um, we're getting off topic here. We are. Oh, <laughs> um, 
but he writes simpler ones. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, Nolan prefers to uh, intellectual flights of fancy a bit. And mm -hmm. my God, there's been so few of those. And challenging his in recent years. Yeah. To a, mm -hmm. to a game too. Nolan is the Riddler. He is the Riddler. <laughs> He's totally the Riddler. Yeah. yeah. He loves to uh, to set you puzzles. And, uh, you know, everything about Inception is a puzzle within a puzzle and within a puzzle. Mm. And I one thing I really give him amazing credit for, and this is what happens when you get 10 years to work on a script, is that I uh, never just threw my hands up and said, wow, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. It always, I knew what was happening. I knew what they were trying to do. I knew what the danger was. Mm. And when you have that many things going on at the same time, it's really easy to get lost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always felt with it, mm. and I didn't. I didn't feel like the um, the film slowed down for too many things. Mm. It kept moving along. Occasionally, when we stopped to hear about um, uh, DiCaprio's DiCaprio's wife, you felt like the the film was pausing for a few seconds to hear a bit of backstory. But you know what? It was important and needed to be done, and it was interesting in its own right. So mm. I don't mind it very much. I found it odd that um, he made Ellen Page the confessor for DiCaprio. Mm. I wonder why that was. I think going back to the metaphor of her as a screenwriter, she's the one yes. trying to delve into the meaning behind it all. And the, yeah, she's the architect of the world, yeah. Yeah, and he's the one with the neuroses, and she's trying to uncover that. And, yeah. yeah. Trying to keep him on works. topic. Yeah. It certainly works yeah. from that point. We need an Ellen Page here. We've been bouncing around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how we always need how, how amazing is that ending, though? Mm. I love endings that make me laugh, like in a yeah. in a, in a, in a cackling supervillain type way. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, they got that so right. Yeah, that was yeah, Thank like that much. is nasty. Uh, that is just yeah, it's so cool. Um, and I, I I was waiting for that. We're going to talk about specifics. I don't want to talk about too many specifics for people who haven't seen it. But um, I was waiting for the. I mean, whenever you have a we're delving into the dream world, or we're delving into memory, or um, this is virtual reality. You, of mm. course, have the question, is the reality we've been watching just another layer? It's going mm. to come mm. up at some point. And I like that they dealt that with that reasonably early and said, um, you know, and constantly made DiCaprio question, are you sure this mm. is really mm. it? And it's like, good. I didn't want that kept for the last moment. Mm. They did use it that way, but they didn't sort of treat us as idiots and no. say, um, you, you you'll never have suspected this. Because no, it's a payoff. You know it's going to happen. Yeah. You know it's going to say, come on, come on. I want to see it. I want to see it doing it. I want to see that thing doing what I know it's going to be doing. Yeah. And then, and then it's the last shot. You're yeah. Like, Bam, thank yeah. you. But it's also the greatest <laughs> MacGuffin in history because yeah. it's not, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's, uh, there is absolutely no assurance. I mean, they are lying to us throughout the whole film. That totem means nothing. Mm. It doesn't matter if it's spinning or falling. It means absolutely nothing, and we are given no assurance, none, mm. that anything is real that we've just seen, and yet that doesn't lessen the stakes. It, mm. it ups them, I think. Mm. Could that van fall for any longer? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I thought that was, there was a lot of uh, a lot of. Um... You begin to laugh, and they just cut to the van. And the van. It's like <laughs> I love that. I got tension from that. Yeah, I, I just I love the idea that time was different. Obviously, time feels longer in dreams, and they made specific mm. use of that. Yeah, that mm. you know, an event in one would affect the other in two minutes, or ten minutes, or a week, or a year, mm. or you know. No one's ever done that before. The dreams take longer than real life. Yeah. Mm. That's a good idea it was it was very good and it helped um helped with the the tension of those scenes and i just love that at every level someone was left to take care of that level yeah yeah, yeah. someone was taking care of it at, at every level and so you had characters who uh gone from being part of a team they now had the job to take care of everyone i thought that was mm. cool <laughs> leaving um 
uh, oh God, what's his name? Um, I can't remember the actor's name. Yusuf? Yusuf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dilly Prout. Dilly Prout, yes. Um, and then um, uh, Gordon Levitt at the next stage. Yeah. And yeah, it's just... And then and then as and you go further on down... How great is that anti-grav fight scene? Yes. <laughs> that whole sequence with George... And it uses uh, JGL's um, uh, physicality. Yeah, to yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. fantastic yeah. at that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. The, the Matrix yeah. pretty much left me cold. Uh, the whole thing, and look, I, I enjoy them, they're okay, but the whole thing uh, thematically and even visually, mm. Matrix kind of left me cold. And even when it first opened, I was like, oh, okay, is that it? Uh, and Inception is sort of what I wanted out of the Matrix. It's kind of what I feel everyone else got. And I'm like, okay, yes, I'm there. Because there's that satisfaction in knowing it's not CGI. There's that satisfaction yeah. in knowing yeah. it's, you know, it's a revolving set and it's anti-grav and it's wire work or whatever. And it's, yeah. you know, it's like, these guys are really doing this. Yeah. There's an impact you feel. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I, that was another thing I was going to bring back uh, earlier when you were talking about the Matrix, that um, uh, Inception visually is, is exactly the anti-Matrix. Mm. Uh, it's mm. um, it, Nolan's style of, again, uh, taking that epic feeling but just rooting it in uh, far more realism than, than the Wachowskis did. Mm. Wachowskis were going for a totally different thing, obviously. Yeah. But um, I, like, uh, I like Nolan's style more. There's something yeah. both simpler... More naturalistic and more epic about it, and hopefully, you know, he's of course going to do a Batman film next. But hopefully, the one after that, I want another original script. Yeah, it's funny. I've just been thinking when you your description of Nolan's women, suddenly Catwoman feels like the natural choice of yeah, Nolan yeah. as a Nolan villain. <laughs> dragging <laughs> it's, down the hero. It's the duplicitous female. You never know which side she's on. Dragging down the villain. Yeah, we can and make an argument for every single villain. <laughs> <on this laughs> side, well, Riddler and Catwoman. That's it. I'm not going any further. He obviously, he obviously loves the femme fatale. I mean, mm. Marion Cotillard in, in Inception yeah. was the femme fatale, mm. and and so was um, Carrie Anne. Um, oh, Carrie Anne Moss. Carrie Anne Moss in, in yeah. Memento. He loves that uh, that. You know, I reckon Marion Cotillard is just about my favourite actress at the moment. You kidding? Yeah, I think she's fantastic. She is good, yeah, yeah. and yeah. and gorgeous. It's like she ticks all the boxes that you want. Mm. You know, a major movie star actress to tick. Yeah, she's not off putting in any way, and she's um. She's, Even a name is fun to say, yeah, Marion Cotillard. Cotillard, and yeah. she's intelligent and she's interesting. She's and, French. Yeah, and yeah, yeah I love it. I think she's got real star quality. Mm. Yeah, although she can't appear in a film without. Uh, Livion Rose playing at some <laughs> yeah, point in yeah, it. whether yeah. she's playing Edith Piaf or whether yeah. she needs to be reminded she's in a dream yeah. we need uh, to keep reminded it's in a contract we need to keep being reminded of her Oscar exactly yeah. Yeah. and uh, the interesting point of the, one of the people she beat for that Oscar was Ellen Page yes so, um, yes it was go. I'm sure she loved having her on set <laughs> that's why she was pointing the gun at her <laughs> so thank you very much for joining us Mr. Oh, Egan my pleasure see you all next month ciao